0: in Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 35 today. But a few thoughts as means of introduction. We must remember where we're at in this narrative. And then I'll take a side there and just say, just remember we're speaking of a historical narrative through the entirety of Genesis. Genesis is not a book of theology. There is theology in Genesis, but it is a history book it tells us what happened. And it tells us, most of the time, how it happened, and some of the time, it tells us why it happened. But it is a history book. It's not a theology book, like, say, the book of Romans is. Nor is it a prophetic book, like, say, Isaiah is. So we have to keep that in mind when we speak of Uh, the, the historical narratives we're hearing in Genesis. And we recall from last week, as we come into this story, as Jacob's seeing the ladder that stretched from heaven to earth, and angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. He said in verse 16 of chapter 28, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And previously the Lord said, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go. We need to keep that in mind, this exchange, what the Lord said, and then what he said, because what we're going to find is the vast majority of this section of Scripture we do not hear of the Lord at all. He is not prominently mentioned by Jacob at all in this particular section of Scripture. Yet he just came off this vision in a dream that he saw, this encounter with the living God. So it is a bit unusual that he is not speaking of the Lord. Nonetheless, it is a fascinating story. Uh, we will encounter things that are culturally bound, that are we are unfamiliar with, which I hope to explain a little bit to you so you get some uh, more depth in the story itself. But we will see, when we look at these passages, we will see how the Lord has preserved his seed that is the seed of redemption through the carnality of man. The Lord has, has, has preserved the seed of redemption through the carnality of men in their actions. So we dive in here in verse tw- 1 of chapter 29, and I have this broken into four sections. In uh, the first section is this one, which would be verses 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 8, and we could title it Relatives in Mesopotamia. Relatives in Mesopotamia. Or we could say it's a visit with some relatives we know or have never met or heard of in Mesopotamia. It says in 29, this is after he has built that uh, monument to meeting the Lord. In verse 29, verse 1, then Jacob took up his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. Now, Jacob is by himself. And I was re- recalling last week, I might have said, he might have said, servants with him, and I did misspeak if I said that last week. We know that Jacob is alone. Okay? We know that Jacob is by himself making this journey. We know that there was nobody with him when he slept and met the Lord in his dream. So he makes this 500-mile 500, 500 journey solo, and he lands in Mesopotamia, and Pedanaram Aram is where he ends up at. And he came to the land of the sons of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. For from that well they gave water to the flocks to drink. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. Now you may be thinking to yourself, and if you're not, I'm gonna point it out to you that this sounds somewhat similar. There are some things that all of a sudden we're running into that sound like something we've heard before. And it comes from Genesis chapter 24. It comes from Genesis chapter 24. We recall we recall when Isaac sent his servant to find a wife. Okay? We 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 recall Go back to verse 24, excuse me. Abraham, Abraham sent a servant to find a wife for Isaac. If we go back there, we recall that he was sent with 10 camels and he found a spring. And now we have we have Jacob alone and he's by a well and the flocks are there So there's some similarities here. He's going to that land to not only run from his murderous brother, who said, I will kill him when my father is dead, and that's what we have here, but back there, we had a servant that was sent to find a wife for Isaac. So similarities, but there's many differences that we'll see, but very similar what is going on here. We find then, as he says in verse two, that the, mouth, that, the, that, the, that the stone at the mouth of the well was large. Remember when I said that they would say many weeks ago that they would dig these wells through the rock and then they would either put wood or they would put a large stone over it to prevent animals or people from falling into it. Well, this is the situation we have here. They have a stone that is over the opening of the well the sheep are, and whatnot are gathered around that. They can't get to the water themselves. They're waiting for somebody to do that for them. And this, is, and this is what Jacob stumbles upon, or what Jacob comes into. It says in verse 3, and all the flocks would be gathered there. Now this is our little, our little cultural piece that is in here. It says, now he's shifted from the flocks that are there But now Moses is telling us that all the flocks would gather at this particular spot. They would roll away the stone from the mouth and they would give water to the sheep and drink and return the stone back to its place on the mouth of the well. Now if we recall back to 24, it was Rebekah who came out to gather water at the end of the day. But here, Jacob is during the middle of the day. And therein lies a a little issue it is unusual for the flocks to be at the well during the middle of the day in verse 4 it says and jacob said to them my brothers where are you from and they said we are from haran ah so this is good he's in the right area this is where laban lives the brother of his mother his uncle So I'm in the right area. I've come to the right town. I've somehow made it in this 500-mile journey without GPS and a map. I've made it to the right area. Then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. Verse 7, and he said, behold, it is still high day. So the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Now our cultural piece would be the fact that they would typically water the flocks in the morning and the evenings. During the day, they would take them out to pasture. They would guide them out there. We recall that shepherds are the ones that guide the sheep to where they need to go. They take them to the green pastures, they take them to where they need to, uh, they need to feed at because the sheep by themselves will not know where the good places are. The shepherds are the ones to be guiding the sheep to the to these locations. So it is unusual that the typical course of day would be water in the morning out to the pasture during the day and then back in to the sheep or the sheep, to the sheep fold or sheep sheep pen in the evenings it is still high day it is not time for the livestock to be gathered give water to the sheep to drink and go pasture them now we remember rebecca's conversation with abraham's servant he had 10 camels. She almost did superhuman work to feed those camels. To water those camels, excuse me. Remember how many it takes a camel approximately 20 gallons of water each. And if the jars that they have hold three gallons, that's a lot of jars that she's doing lifting out of that well. Remember, the servant says, she says, I will feed, I, I will water the camels, and she does. And here we have here we have Jacob saying, uh, give the water to the sheep to drink. To these shepherds, we could call them, and I want to be careful. We could call them perhaps lazy shepherds. They should be all over this right now. They should recognize that water needs to be given. Maybe it wasn't given earlier in the day. Maybe something happened, but they're doing nothing to give water to the sheep. They're giving. They're doing nothing to give them life sustaining water. And he he says. He, he says, give water to the sheep to drink and go, pasture them. This is what you're supposed to do. This is the job of a shepherd. Verse eight, but they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered and they roll the stone from the mouth of the well, then we give water to the sheep to drink. So we had this little situation. He has arrived in the middle of the day He's confirmed the land in which he's at. He's looking for his his mother his mother's brother or his uncle. He wants to make sure he's going there. We remember that he's going there because he cannot marry a Canaanite woman. We remember that he's going there so he can find one of that endo, uh, end, endonogamy, right, of a certain, a certain lineage that he needs to marry from. He has found the location where it's at. He's confirmed that it's the location where it's at. He knows the daughter of the uncle is coming out right now. And there's a problem, a minor one, as the sheep are just waiting around, just patiently waiting. If you've ever had a dog that's laid around waiting for water, this is the same idea. They're just patiently waiting. Somebody's got to move the stone because they can't do it themselves. He's pointing out the obvious, but they're not doing anything about it. So now he's met People, or he's gone into the town of his relatives. And then we're going to shift now to the second section where he meets Rachel, Rachel. And we're going to do the verses 9 through 12 here. With all over top of this, we say to ourselves that God is somehow preserving the redemptive seed through the actions of men. It says in verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. His first encounter with Rachel. Now it happened when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brothers. Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and gave water to the flock of Laban, his mother's brother, to drink. Previously, it was Rebekah that did the monumental task of watering the camels. These stories are in parallel, but they're not the same. Here we have Jacob who does the monumental task of saying, it already told us that the stone was great, and now he has single handedly moved the stone. When he sees Rachel coming with the sheep, he has single handedly moved the stone. He has done the monumental task. Whereas his mother had watered 10 camels solo, he has now moved the stone so the sheep can be watered. 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. Now, this is not to be seen as a passionate kiss. This is typical of the culture of the time of kissing a relative. Remember, we know that it's Laban's daughter, that he knows that when he sees her. He is, it's been pointed out to him that this is this is his daughter. The one you are looking for. By the way, his daughter is coming right now with a whole bunch of sheep. So he kisses her in a manner of greeting, lifts up his voice and wept. And in verse 12, and Jacob told Rachel that he, was a relative of her father, and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. So this situation here, he is meeting people he's never met before. He has traveled 500 miles from the, from the, the place where he was born, the place which he's known. He has had an encounter with the Lord where he sees a ladder rising and falling, but with angels ascending and descending on this ladder from heaven to earth. And now he has met a relative of his that he has vectored in on this, that he has driven, that he has walked in on this situation. He has met this person. He is elated that he has found what he's looking for. And she runs to tell her father. Notice what we haven't heard anything here. of. We haven't heard about God at all. Now if we recall back to the story of the servant, it's about at this point in time that the servant praises the Lord when he meets Rebecca, that he has confirmation that his journey may be successful and praises the Lord in doing it. Yet there's no mention here of God's actions whatsoever, or I should say better, that Jacob is not recognizing what the Lord is doing at all. It's not recorded for us. Third section verses 13 through 20, we'll call this a problem of payment. A problem of payment. So, Rachel is gone to tell her father. Verse 13, so it happened that when Laban heard the report of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, and he embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he recounted to Laban all these things. He recounted the journey to get there. He recounted what led to the journey to get there we wonder if he recounted the deception that led to the blessing that he received. We're not told. But we might get some hints of it later on. But he's told him about his journey, about how long it took, 500 miles, you're pushing, I think, rough guesstimate, you're at least a month, month and a half on foot to get there. Is where he goes. And he tells him these things in verse 14. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone, you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him one month. Surely you are the same family as I am. Surely you are my relative. We are related. We are kin. Stay with me. And he stays for a month. Verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and beautiful in appearance daughters older and a younger. Most people focus in on the idea that Leah's eyes were weak. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean she was blind, nor does it mean that she had a medical condition with her eyes. What it means is that something intrinsic about her, she did not have, we can even say that sparkle in the eye, something that was less appealing about her than it was about her sister. All it's saying is that for some reason, he was more attracted to Rachel than he was to Leah. That there was something of lesser quality for him about Leah. Rachel, beautiful in form and beautiful in appearance. In verse 18, now Jacob loved Rachel so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So, for, so, Jacob, ser- so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they were in his sight, but a few days because of his love for her. And you say to yourself, this serving for seven years to be married to this woman, this is is the payment of the bride price. It was typical of this period of time that the suitor would pay something to the family of the bride so that they could be married. Sometimes you'll find it is around 50 shekels or so. Sometimes if they have no money, by the way, he is by himself himself. He does not have a retinue of camels and all sorts of things with him. Remember, when the servant was sent, he was sent loaded down with goods. And he left them when he came back with Rebekah. Here, Jacob has come empty-handed. There's nothing. He doesn't even have a servant to give over for the bride price. He's got nothing to give for her. So if that was the case, then it would be years of service. Seven years is somewhat excessive. Generally, it would be a few years that they would do it. We see some more confirmation of this if you turn to Exodus chapter 22, verse 16. Exodus 22:16, and then we'll turn to Deuteronomy from that. Exodus 22:16. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her, he must pay a dowry for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry for virgins. Or flip to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Verse 29, then the man who lay with her shall give to the girl's father 50 shekels of silver and she shall become his wife because he has violated her. He cannot divorce her all his days. So this is much later in time, but it gives you this idea and it has run through the history It is typical uh, of paying this bride price. Remember, because he has nothing to give, all he can give is service to her father. God preserves the seed of redemption through man's actions, man's carnalities, man's desires. God is the acting party through all these things, For everything that we see ha- happening here. So again, at the end, so Jacob... Served seven years for Rachel, and they were in his sight but a few days because of his love for her. This was like nothing to him. He desired to be with her and be married to her so much that it was like nothing. Which leads us to the fourth part, and we'll call this Laban's treachery. Laban's treachery. And this will take us from verse 21 through verse 35. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it happened in the evening that he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went in to her. Now I'm going to pause there for a second. These marriage celebrations in this time would probably last around seven days. The end of the first day would be the consummation of the marriage between the man and the woman. But the party would continue after that. But the party would continue after that. Now you can obviously see that something is awry here. We can also we can, we can say to ourselves, well how did this happen? Well, number one, if we look at verse 22, he gathered all the men. The men and the women were not celebrating together. We must not push back on this, what it looks like to have a wedding celebration in our day and age in the United States. This is a much different culture to a degree than we are. People are people, yet they celebrate differently. The men were gathered, the men were drinking, the men were celebrating Jacob was looking forward to the consummation of the marriage. We see a similar thing that occurs, not in a marriage, but if we look at the book of Ruth, we, uh, we, we see in there where at the threshing floor, the men are gathered and they're drinking. And Ruth goes in to Boaz. He doesn't realize that she's there until he's stirred. But here, Laban, probably all along, has planned for this. His older daughter with the weak eyes, the less appealing daughter. And Jacob went into her. Verse 24, Laban also gave his servant woman, Zilpah, to his daughter Leah as a servant woman. This would be indicative that he was a wealthy man. Laban was a very wealthy man that he could give away the servant. But we come back, he just gives that as a side. It shows where Laban is at. It gives us an idea what Laban has. And then it comes back here on verse 25. Now it happened in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. He was surprised he has slept with the wrong woman and consummated a marriage with the wrong woman. We understand that marriage at this point in time was not before a priest or a minister or anything like that that the marriage when it was consummated it was a marriage when they engaged in the sexual act it was they were seen as married and so this is what's occurred he is essentially he is wedded to Leah the one he did not desire the one he did not work 7 years for the seven years that seemed like merely days because he was anticipating being married to Rachel. He has been deceived by Laban, his mother's uncle. What have you done? How could this happen? It is Leah, and it says, and he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I serve for you? Why, then, have you deceived me? The deceiver, speaking about deception, it doesn't feel so good when it's on the other foot, right? And look at what Laban says. Laban says, it is not the practice in our place to give the younger before the firstborn. Don't we recall that Jacob the younger will the older will serve the younger? So we know at least Laban has part of the story that he knows. It's not our practice. You should know this. It's obvious that the older gets married off first. The deceiver has been deceived. Verse 27. Fulfill the week of this one, and we will give you the other also, for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Now, we recall that the wedding, that the wedding celebration lasts for approximately seven days. So Laban's saying, well, okay, so if we finish this celebration for the marriage now to Leah... The one with weak eyes. If we, if we, if you celebrate that, then I will give you the other daughter at the end of that seven days. But then you have to give me another seven years of service. Verse twenty-eight. And Jacob did so, fulfilled her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his servant, his servant woman. Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her servant woman. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. God has not been mentioned once. We are 30 verses in right after the encounter that Jacob had, and the Lord has not been mentioned once. Now, what I'm talking about here is I'm not saying that the Lord is not fully active because we just saw the angels ascending and descending on the ladder. The Lord is active in his creation. In every single possible way, everything is held together by God. Colossians 1 tells us that. Everything is held together by the Lord. The problem here is is that Jacob has acknowledged that God is with him and Jacob is not acknowledging that God is at work, that Jacob is not praising the Lord, that Jacob is not seeing God's work in all that is, that is happening here. Instead, Jacob is being somewhat Jacob, the deceiver, the one who grabs the heel, the one who has now been deceived. So again, we say that if we look at the story, we can see how God preserves The redemptive seed through the carnality of men. Through their deception. Through their actions. Because we run in now to verse 31. And Yahweh and the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren think about this for a moment i i love how it says he opened her womb we've heard this before many times that we have a tendency to think that that uh, we we don't see the lord's action or uh, action when it regards when it when it comes to pregnancy we don't afford the lord the right respect in pregnancy We don't see that it's the Lord who brings life. Mom and dad are involved, but it's God that is the life giver. I have no ability to give life on my own. My wife has no ability to give life on her own. That only comes from the Lord. And here we see his action. And here we see the first mention of God in this narrative. And the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Leah was not forgotten. She might have been unloved by her husband, but she was certainly loved by the Lord. And he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. The one that the deceiver desired is currently barren. 32, so Leah conceived and bore a son. Leah conceived and bore a son Named him Reuben. Named him Reuben, for she said, "Because Yahweh has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me." Reuben is a combination of Hebrew words that would be uh, uh, that the Lord be praised for my son, or something to that idea, is what it gives us. It, it has the this this feeling of God being praised because of the son, or the Lord has given the son, that the, that this is from the Lord. She is recognizing the Lord's work in this because Yahweh has seen my affliction. Yahweh has seen that I am loved. The Lord has recognized my situation that I am like the, the second fiddle here. Even though I'm the older, surely now my husband will love me. Surely now my husband will love me. Reuben, if we turn to, we'll see some, uh, we'll, we'll see some uh, activity by Reuben. Look, at, we turn to Genesis 49, that's enough in the future, you'll forget about it by the time we get there again. We see the words that Jacob gives to Reuben. 49.3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my vigor. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in strength. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. This is where he defiled one of his father's concubines. But nonetheless, we see that Reuben is recognized by the father. We turn back then to Genesis chapter 29. Surely my husband will love me. Verse 33. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because Yahweh, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he will therefore, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. It looks like it comes for the from the Hebrew word Shema, which means to hear. It's a play, it seems to be a play on words on this one. Because the Lord has heard of her affliction. Because the Lord has heard of her affliction. He named her him Simeon. We see Simeon in Genesis chapter 34. If we turn there for a moment, 25 through 29. Uh, this is where they, uh, because of the rape of their sister Dinah, that Simeon uh, formulates and Levi formulate this attack uh, to avenge her her rape. And it says, now it happened on the third day when they were in pain because these foreigners were, uh, the ones who raped them were circumcised. Then two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the unsuspecting city and killed every male. And killed every male. So we see some of the activity of Simeon there Uh, We see how they're featured, and now we get into 34 and 35, two of the most important sons that we will hear about. God is preserving that redemptive line, verse 34, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be joined to me because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name he was named Levi which has in the Hebrew has an idea of joining together now of course Levi is where we get the levitical line from it is the line of Moses the line of Aaron this is where they this is what they will what will come from their from their seed And then in verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise Yahweh. I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now Judah, who comes from Judah? David. The line of David comes from Judah who comes from the line of David? Jesus. So, as we we come into the, as a good friend of mine would say, the so what part of this, we read a historical narrative, stones being rolled away from wells, sheep wanting watered. Last week, ladders between heaven and earth. We see a deceptive son who has encountered the living God and has not acknowledged him yet. Uh, We see uh, 14 years of labor that will come uh, to gain a wife that he desires, and yet we see the undesired wife that is having uh, not only four sons, but two sons that factor entirely into the redemptive act of the Lord. Notice that that redemptive line does not come through Rachel, but comes through, whose womb is still barren for the moment, but comes through Leah, the unloved one. The one with the weak eyes. This is where we get the Levitical line. This is where we get the Davidic line comes through both Levi and Judah. It, you, we, we can't miss what is being done here, what is being told to us, and we, and we also have that Leah is the only one in this part of this narrative that is acknowledging the Lord. The unloved Leah is acknowledging God and is acknowledging his action. The one who is Jacob, who will be called Israel later on, is seemingly nonplussed by this, right? Is not affected by any of this. Does not see the Lord's actions. And so, we have to to grapple with this because what is recorded is what is given to us and the reason it is given is given to Israel and the reason it is given to Israel is to give them hope to see where they came from, to see the Lord's work as he drew them out and pulled them out of slavery, to see that the Lord's hand has always been active, that the Lord has always been at work, regardless of the activities of men, the Lord has always been at work. That Jacob went into his wife Leah willingly, and she had these children. And these children would be the foundation of the seed of the promise that is coming. That through the unloved Leah comes Saviour that is unloved by the world. Turn with me it is not in the notes, Isaiah fifty three. We want to recall that uh, Isaiah 52 verses 13 through Isaiah 53 verse 12 gives us the most description of Jesus, the Messiah. Unloved Leah, undesired Leah, is the one who bears these sons. And she is the one that not only bears those that would be part of the Levitical, the priestly line, but she bears the line of Judah, which is where Jesus comes from. And it says in Isaiah chapter 53, 53, starting in verse 2, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He, was, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should desire him. Through Leah, the one with the weak eyes, the undesired one, comes the Savior. Verse 3, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of many sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. In spite of the carnality of men and their actions, God preserves the redemptive line. And he preserves it through Leah, not through Rachel. And he preserves it through Judah, not through Simeon, not through Reuben, not through Levi. And this Savior comes, and the world does not recognize him. This line, this one that comes through Judah, Genesis 49:10, that may be up there. We get this. We get the blessing from Jacob that he gives. Notice in verse 49:10, "The scepter shall not depart from Judah." nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples this is the line of Jesus he is the king of the universe he does not he is not enthroned because man says it he is enthroned because of who he is he is the right king Turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. You guys all know it very well. Matthew 28, 19. What happens when we are found in Christ Jesus, right? We go back to the promise of many, many, many. uh, Like your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, like the sands of the sea. Genesis, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples in my name, Jesus. When you make a disciple, when a disciple is made of Jesus, found in Jesus, they become part of that family. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. You're already seen as there in heaven. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Galatians 3, 7. So know that those who are of faith, those who are with the faith in Christ Jesus only, those are the sons of Abraham. Those are the sons of Abraham. And then if you skip down to verse 14, it says, In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Multiple thousands of years have passed till the time of Christ Jesus, all preserved by the Lord in doing that. All preserved so that all would be found, that will be found in that kingdom that is his. All that will be his sons and daughters are preserved regardless of the carnality of men and their actions. In spite of the carnality of men and their actions, and through the carnality of men and their actions, and through the deception of men and their actions, God preserves those he will save till the end of our lives and through eternity. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Okay, so the unloved Savior is the only one that is worthy, right? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Were it not for the birth of Judah through Leah, the unloved one, the Savior would not be here. But because God has preserved that from the beginning... We see, and Israel sees, and now we see as Christ's followers, that God's plans will always come to pass, that they never go off target, that they never take a wrong turn, that he never takes a U-turn, that he never changes his mind, that he has made this to be like this, that we that are found in Christ, and only those that are found in Christ, will be saved and found in the new heaven the new earth. People from all nations, in verse 10, And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. And they will reign upon the earth. God who has preserved the redemptive line without regard to the actions of men. He will preserve you too if you are found in Jesus. He will preserve you to the end. You can rest assured that found in Jesus, you will be found in heaven. You can also rest assured that not found in Jesus, you will be found in hell. It is time, if you have not, is to come to Jesus. Now is the time. There is no better time than now. For if you do not come to Jesus now, your heart is being hardened every single second against him of every single day. And a time might come when you will never be able to make that decision to come to Christ. That is my prayer, that if you're not found in Christ, that you come to him today. And also my prayer is that that if you're found in Christ, that you can have assurance when you hear these narratives that God does exactly what God is doing, and it is exactly perfect in how he does it. Preserving the line through Abraham, preserving the line through Isaac, preserving it through Jacob, through Judah, through David. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for these members of this church. Thank you for all that are here today. Be with them as they leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.